Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to the Consumer's Law Journal here on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Today is Tuesday, November 23rd, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is attorney Melanie M. Bayana, who practices family law and domestic relations in the Chicagoland area. Attorney Bayana earned her law degree from the Chicago Kent College of Law, who also awarded Ms. Bayana the Cali Award for Excellence in Advanced Research and Writing in Criminal Procedure. Attorney Bayana is a member of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals and is a fellow and co-chair of the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois. Serving on several additional professional committees with various organizations, Attorney Melanie Biana is recognized leader in reform, and her current efforts with the Lotus Rising Foundation concern creative pathways to transcend oppression and violence in domestic relations matters. We do have a great show for you this afternoon, and we invite our caller questions either by email directly to me at nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com. Please put Law Talk Radio in the subject line. You can also dial into the show with a comment or question by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and pressing option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is 917-889-9732, option 1 for the queue. A few quick announcements before we get going. We want to let you know, first of all, that ALRPRA did announce on Monday, November 15th that this coming January 5th, Classes begin at the Law Practice Management School. This weekly online law practice management education program covers management, marketing, technology, and finance. For more information or to apply, please contact ALRPRA for more information. By way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and locations. Communication with our attorney guests among guests and callers on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. And finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Before we get going, I just want to give you the subject matter of today's program. Recent media intention in India has helped bring light the efforts of attorney Malini Bayana as she has expended her flight for the return of her son from her father, his father's control in India. Um, children are, hold on one second while I shift gears over here. Um, sorry for... Sorry, I had a sorry email came in. Um, again, I'll just start. I'll start that over. Recent media attention in in India has helped bring light to the efforts attorney Milani Bayana has expended in her fight for the return of her son from his father's control in India. Children are abducted by parents at an alarming rate, and U.S. judges are often inexperienced and may be ill-equipped or uninformed when addressing complex international legal issues. Bayana's millionaire ex-husband has been able to use his money, influence, and power to keep the minor child in. India, while Malani Biana continues her fight for the return of her son, both in the Supreme Court of Illinois as well as the Supreme Court of India. Malani Biana herself is a family law practitioner here in Illinois and has learned firsthand the challenges facing anyone up against international child custody, child abduction, and other international issues affecting families. 
Malin Bionic will offer updates and information as she works to provide resources to family law attorneys and key professionals who face international family law issues. Malin, how are you today? Hi, Nick. Well, it's a pleasure to be back on the show, and thank you for this opportunity for uh, to provide an update on what's happening in in my case, and I'm uh, looking forward to providing some much-needed insight and information to the legal community. Well, I'm glad that you are on here uh, to say hello, and our other uh, caller who will also participate today just uh, dialed in. Rex, are you there? Yes, Nick, I'm here. Hey, Mommy. Hi, Rex. Welcome to the show. Rex, would you like to uh, briefly introduce yourself? Yes. Uh, My name is Rex Arul, and I'm an energy consultant in Atlanta, Georgia. And I have a 3.5-year-old daughter who was uh, taken to India on a supposedly short trip for months. And she was supposed to return by the flight today. But unfortunately, her mom, once she landed in India made the trip to be a permanent one-way trip and refused to bring the child back, even though um, she filed a lawsuit for divorce here in the state of Georgia, uh, sitting from India. And um, she failed the hearing at the last minute because she feared losing the hearing and withdrew the petition on the day of hearing. And the judge pretty much saw the subterfuge and the defeat in the case and pretty much ruled the sole custody of the child to me and ordered that the child be brought back to Georgia by today and handed over by tomorrow. And unfortunately, my wife is not going to do that, and she stands in violation of the U.S. court custody orders. But to just give her ground, I mean, she is a very accomplished corporate Indian attorney, um, and she had been a permanent resident just as myself here in the United States for the past five years. I have been in the U.S. for the past 14 years, and she practices Indian law and advises all the Fortune 500, most of the Fortune 500 clients in the U.S. and you know other foreign countries. Mm-hmm. But this is the path that she is choosing because she thinks that her law firm, a very reputed law firm in India, is solidly behind her. Um, how far that is true is not quite clear at this point, but she thinks that she is entitled to hold the child against the U.S. court orders. Rex, these are some of the things that we keep hearing, and Malini has been so kind as to share some of the stories, including stories like yours, and have and it's very helpful to have everyone who touches these international issues to tell their story and bring to light uh, the things that are happening. So I appreciate your uh, very candid introduction there, and I appreciate your comments on the show today. Let's get started with. Uh, a little more information from Malini. If you'd like to first, we're going to briefly, our segment today, we're going to first talk about the recent appellate court decision here in Illinois. Secondly, we're going to talk about procedural issues that affect these international custody uh, challenges. Thirdly, we'll talk about substantive issues in law. And then fourthly, we'll talk about the deviation from ordinary practices and customs when things do not go according to plan. So, Malini, let's talk a little bit about the recent appellate court decision in Illinois. Can you bring us up to speed? Uh, Yes. Sometime this summer, we uh, received, unfortunately, shocking news that the appellate court of Illinois um, has 
abdicated jurisdiction of my son's case to India, and the basis of which um, surrounded the conclusion that I ordinarily resided in India at the time that my ex-husband filed ex parte proceedings in the family court of Hyderabad. Now, the facts clearly indicated that I had not abandoned my residence, nor my practice, nor my uh, citizenship of the United States or of Illinois. My son is a naturally born citizen. My ex-husband has a residence and a business in the state of Illinois, and he too um, is a U.S. citizen. So effectively what this Illinois appellate court decision has done, in my opinion and, and in the opinion of many uh, family law attorneys and judges, is uh, obliterate the requirements of the UCCJEA, wherein a child must reside in a foreign state or a foreign country for a minimum of six months prior to uh, it becoming the home state of the child in that foreign state or foreign country being able to assert jurisdiction over custody visitation um, matters. And the facts of my case, again, um, is going to open up a Pandora's box, and it has a chilling effect on parents and children everywhere because it is not only binding authority in Illinois but persuasive authority in other states of of, uh, America and has international implications. And essentially if, let's say, somebody has a summer home in another state or uh, enrolls their child on a temporary trial basis in Europe in a um, a foreign school, or they go to um, another state or another country and stays in an extended stay motel, a hotel, and signs a lease or a contract. Effectively, what this decision rules is that the that foreign state, that foreign country, that foreign jurisdiction can by petition of a parent, whether it's ex parte or with notice, um, uh, assert jurisdiction, whether or not there are even pending proceedings and ongoing proceedings in the original state of jurisdiction, which we had in our case. We had pending post-judgment proceedings on child support visitation and the like, Uh, at the time that these ex parte proceedings were filed in India. And I was also out of the country, and these these petitions were filed after a demand of the return of my child. And, again, it was on an ex parte basis while my child was in the possession and care of his father. So there there really was no reason for an ex parte emergency motion. And and it was was really a plot and a plan um, that is hauntingly similar to, to what happened to Rex Arul, although in his case, his ex, now ex-wife um, asked for permission to take the child out of the country for a few months, kind of on a trial basis, and then decided to never return. And so so my, my opinion and that of many lawyers and judges is that this is going to exponentially increase child abduction or kidnapping, whether it's within the continental United States or um, internationally. And there may be 
uh, legally savvy parents who are aware of these decisions and um, and take advantage of trusting parents like myself and, and Rex Arul, uh who who want to work things out and 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 live peacefully and amicably with the other parent for the sake of the children, only to be set up where we would have to uh, defend and or prosecute litigation in in a country with the diametrically opposite time zones and uh, whether we had the economic or legal resources to do that. Now, in Rex's case, he has a job. He has an employer. He is not able to pick up and pack up his bags and run to India to get these U.S. orders enforced. He will have to retain lawyers who can do this on his behalf while he's working remotely. Uh, He's at a severe disadvantage, um, not only in terms of his ability to work productively in his job. He'll be up at night talking to attorneys and and helping to manage his case and further his case in the middle of the night. will be tired and, uh, you know, um, obviously under great distress and duress during work, which will um, affect his ability to, to retain employment and an income so that he can fight this legal battle. In my case, I have my own practice, I do have the luxury and flexibility of, um, you know, working on my case when I need to. However, the disadvantage is that when I'm not working towards either soliciting business or um, attending to my client matters, I don't have an income. Or when I have to go to India for weeks on end, not only do I have to forego business for weeks prior to, since I can't take on new cases and and manage them, but I lose the income for those weeks that I am in India attending to to the legal proceedings. And again, the other parent who is the, the offender and the child abductor knows this all too well and banks on the fact that the, the left-behind parent um, will eventually run out of money or or resources, backing, or even be so mentally, emotionally, and physically drained that, that they may just give up the fight. Certainly. It's it's a very difficult scenario. Melanie, could you do us a favor and again once more recite what the holding was of the Illinois Appellate Court as far as just uh, just as far as the jurisdiction that uh and the custody issues here. Yes, uh, based on their interpretation of the facts and again, um there were many facts that were ignored or or misstated or misrepresented um in the opinion they determined that I ordinarily resided in India at the time that my ex-husband filed ex parte proceedings in the family court um, and ignored the fact that I had not abandoned or never stopped residing in Illinois, which uh, under the UCCJEA, this is what the family court would have had to have found that I no longer resided in the state of Illinois in order to assert jurisdiction, and they did not find that, and yet the Illinois Appellate Court um, abdicated jurisdiction to India. Very troubling uh, troubling decision there, uh, where, again, so as, as we understand that, if someone in another state were to argue that the Illinois uh, law or that, well, not, well, the Illinois decision would apply to their jurisdiction, let's say someone in Indiana, that they could cite that as uh, persuasive authority. That's exactly right. 
So that causes a problem. So um, we hope to see uh, more information down the road as this decision we see, you know, we'll see. It remains to be seen whether this is something that will stick or, um, you know, if this is something that will uh, get appealed and, and overturned. It's it's a very troubling thing. So let's take and, a... And if, if I could yeah. quickly interject, remember, sure. it's binding authority in Illinois. Right. So every resident citizen of Illinois um, is faced with this this potential dilemma and is at risk for their children to be, um, again, taken to another state or or another country under false pretenses and then never returned in in reliance on this case. And and, and even, so again, whether it's, so this would work, they could use that case whether it is an issue of domestic or international custody, right? Correct. And and the parent who, who may travel with the child for you know, we were we were in India for less than sixty for, for sixty days, and they were non consecutive days. Right. Um, and the UCCJEA generally requires a six month residence. Very tro- very troubling, very troubling. Let's pause for our first uh, set of commercial breaks, and then we will be back talk about some procedural issues. Again, we're talking with Attorney Malini Bayana and our other guest today, Rex Arul, uh, who has also been personally touched by international child custody issues uh, with his own case. So quick pause, and then we'll be back. Our first sponsor for the day is Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme. When you need the legal services to advance your creativity, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme helps break big law firm experience and reputation to hurt intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme today by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the like button on the law firm's business page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Our second sponsor today is The Lawyer Market. I discovered The Lawyer Market several weeks ago, and let me tell you, this is a website that is a good and best-kept secret for solos and small firms trying to market their practices. You can join The Lawyer Market for free, and the online marketplace will actually send you the name and contact information of clients and potential customers who are interested in hiring you. The Lawyer Marketplace offers a win-win solution to its listed attorneys and the potential clients searching for their legal services. Please visit thelawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers for more information. Again, that website is www.thelawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers. Again, anyone who's tuning in, you are listening to the Consumer's Law Journal on Law Talk Radio. We always encourage our callers' questions at area code 917-889-9732. Please press option 1 to be placed in the queue. And if you have a question or comment, you can always send those directly by email to nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com. Please put Law Talk Radio in the subject line. Those go right to me. Now back to our show. Um, we're talking with, again, Attorney Malini Bayana and our special guest, Rex Arul. Rex, I'm getting your name right, correct? Yes. yes okay, very good. Um, and Rex, you feel free to also uh, chime in along with Malini as it's appropriate, as you have comments. We'll talk a little bit now about some of the procedural issues that affect attorneys and their families as they endure very difficult international child custody disputes. Melanie? Sure. Go ahead. Um, one of the things, again, we have to keep in mind in, in foreign jurisdictions is that they may not um, 
follow the same procedural and substantive laws, rules, and protocols as, as we do here in the United States. Uh, for example, the Indian courts, they rely heavily on affidavits, documents. There's not necessarily um, an evidentiary hearing, sworn testimony, and so it, it, the, the types of um, misrepresentations or even, even falsified documents that can be submitted um, to courts upon which final decisions are made or even interim decisions are made that have far-reaching consequences to, to the parent and or the child um, is disturbing. And so this is one of the, I think these are some of the factors that um, not only Illinois courts or other states need to look at uh, to determine whether they want to give full faith and credit to the ultimate order or interim orders of foreign jurisdictions. Uh, the other piece of it is that some countries will have different laws that apply to different religions or different genders, which we do not have here in the United States. Uh, no parent has a superior right to a child based on gender and or religion, whereas uh, in a country like India, they have the Hindu Marriage Act or the Muslim Marriage Act or the um, you know, Christian Marriage Act. And so under certain circumstances, again, my ex-husband filed under the Hindu Marriage Act stating that my son was a Hindu boy, even though he was Catholic, uh, baptized when he was one and just received his Holy First Communion last year, uh, basically withholding the, these facts and, and fraudulently misrepresenting his religion. And the reason that he he tried to file under the Hindu Marriage Act is because a Hindu father has a superior right to a Hindu boy after the age of five years old. So um, procedurally, too, we really have to be careful because if we are going to give full faith and credit to any uh, judgments or hearings um, in foreign jurisdictions, we have to make sure that their that their principles of law and justice, ethics, procedures, protocols are, are consonant with those of American jurisprudence or even um, whichever particular state is uh, is involved. Rex, did you have anything yeah, to add to that? Yeah, yes, Malini. And to add more uh, to this, uh, take the example of my own case. Um, in this case, as Malini a word, um, you know, India has religious laws like the Christian Marriage Act, the Hindu Marriage Act, the Special Marriages Act, etc., etc. But in this case, you know, where my ex and I, we were married as per the laws of the United States here in a civic marriage ceremony between in, in front of the Justice of Peace. So now, technically speaking and legally speaking, uh, the Indian courts should not entertain any forum shopping attempt that my wife, ex-wife, is planning to do to kind of arrogate the jurisdiction back to India. However, whether that's what is going to happen uh, is, is anybody's guess because uh, as I wrote in the op-ed recently in the Atlanta General Constitution uh, newspaper, India always asserts jurisdiction uh, when such cases come before it. And there is a, a one, one, one case where the mom was an Irish woman in Ireland 
and the father was an American citizen, and he just took the daughter and landed into India. And the High Court, the Bombay High Court in Goa at the time, uh, pretty much uh, asserted that you know it has jurisdiction on the matter and listened to the case. So when things of that nature happen, what happens is you know India soon becomes a safe haven for all these abductors and kidnappers to take the child and assert jurisdiction without any care or concern to international laws, including the UCCJEA that Marnie was mentioning, when you know all that you need to do is to have physical uh, uh, custody of the child uh, in the court's jurisdiction and then claim that that is the forum or that is the jurisdiction, thereby depriving the left-behind parent of any means to kind of like fight in a, what is called as a forum non-convenience because uh, it's just a very inconvenient forum. And besides the fact, as Marlene stated, I mean, a lot of misrepresentations uh, can be easily made because some of these things in India uh, are not actually taken for verifying the proof at the admission stage. And unlike the penalty of perjury, which is pretty strong in the United States, that is not a very common thing back in India. So even with mere allegations, cases can proceed for a long, long time. And there is no wonder that India's judiciary is now facing a backlog of close to like 30 million cases, something mm -hmm. that even the Chief Justice of India is very worried and has avowed that this is going to be a pretty huge issue to be resolved because often justice delayed is justice denied. Mm-hmm. Malini, can you comment a little bit on forum shopping? Absolutely. What's happening, I think, in both Rex Arul's and my case is not only forum shopping but law shopping um, because what what happened over the course of the past year is um, whatever body of law, rule of law, or, or forum seemed to be advantageous to my ex-husband, uh, he would point to. And he would point to in pleadings or interim applications and just kind of had, had one foot in both countries, basically, mm -hmm. um, and trying to enforce orders or, or escape orders based on um, what was advantageous to him at that time. And I think in Rex Rule's case, the same thing happened where his ex-wife first filed, um, I think, for divorce in Georgia and then quickly realized that uh, that wasn't the best forum or most favorable forum for her, uh, tried to withdraw the petition, but it was too late, and then rested on the fact that India is a non-hate convention country and so doesn't have to return the child if she doesn't want to and can sit and and um, force Rex to, to prosecute um, in India in order to get his child back, which could take years. Uh, and in his case, he's got a three-year-old um, who cannot necessarily um, express her her wishes or assert her voice in in a manner in which the Indian courts may take into strong consideration. My understanding is that she has, on a number of occasions, expressed that she missed her daddy, wants to come home. She's been non she's been denied Skype communication which, by the way, um, is now an enforceable form of visitation in the state of Illinois and the violation of which can carry criminal penalties. 
um, in my case, there, there are existing and enforceable Skype orders, both in the U.S. and in the Supreme Court of India, which have been violated uh, for weeks at a time with my son, too, begging and pleading to, to see and have contact with his mother. Um, but the father, who is somehow able to um, escape any accountability or uh, prosecution for contempt charges that I've brought against him in India for, for reasons that I, I will expound on later, um, you're put in a situation where children and parents are severely disadvantaged, they're isolated from each other, and time is working on the side of the abductor who uh, can potentially brainwash or uh, get the child to just, in a learned helplessness state, accept and acquiesce to the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's one thing that I will tell you that I'm very excited about is uh, psycho- we've invited psychologist Elizabeth Loftus to appear on the show um, from the standpoint of child and eyewitness testimony. I remember back in undergraduate studies, I did a research or an independent study project on child testimony in the courtroom and uh, the inherent unreliability of child testimony oftentimes where children will present to or they'll present the facts to please the person asking them, um, and their intention is to please adults. So they're often giving testimony or painting a picture that is not necessarily um, accurate or a true depiction uh, of things going on. So that's another difficult thing. But we'll we'll, we'll be very excited to have uh, uh, Professor Loftus on our show sometime next year. And, and we certainly have to take into the age and developmental stage of the child. Um, Certainly. You know, who could who can be brainwashed, bribed, I mean, what have you. And children, um, you know, they're very resilient. And what they present to the public, whether it be in India or any other foreign country, if they're at school or, or playing or at a, an event or a function, they can appear very um, very happy or content and, and well-adjusted or not fearful of the, of the parent who has kidnapped or may be abusing them. Um, or isolating them, and then the, the the ways in which depression or feelings of helplessness or distress manifest themselves um, are not detectable to the public. Right. And may may occur, you know, behind the scenes or at home, uh, coercion, threats, intimidation, that sort of thing. What when what what also is very interesting that I've I've heard from uh, reports. I have a family member who works in mental health uh, in the public sector in California. She commented commented to me that children who were depressed were making comments to their friends on Facebook and other uh, social media outlets and. The parents were finding out that children who seemed very well-adjusted and normal, any mom would say, oh, my kid's doing just fine, um, and the you know the girl is uh, texting suicide ideas to a friend on Facebook. So, um, again, you know, they can, it's, you, you never know. Um, you know, children will often hide things. So, um, one, one other thing I'd like to jump in about procedure. Sure. Rex mentioned the forum non-convenience uh, issue, which is, something that, again, U.S. courts need to take into strong consideration because when these um, abductors are in their power base, for example, my ex-husband is extremely powerful and influential both in Hyderabad and all of India, as is his ex-wife um, in the uh, the city of Chennai. Um, 
and I believe that's the the capital of Tamil Nadu. Is that right? Robert? That is correct, Molly. Okay. Um, and when you have you know that type of of power structure and power base, and and you can bring in any witness or or fabricate documents um, again that are not necessarily verified. Nothing's nothing's necessarily done under sworn testimony. And um, there's a strong proclivity for filing false affidavits and um, false allegations, false arrests. It is commonplace in India. Um, I, I was even advised by not my attorneys but, but other lawyers that, that had been following my case to file false cases against my ex, which I refused to do, um, in order to gain leverage mm. in my case. And, and I said, no, I'm not going to play that game, and I'm going to play by the rules and by the book. But so this, the cards are stacked against the left-behind parent um, when you're dealing with the system who turns a blind eye to perjury and to um, you know false cases being being um, being prosecuted, as well as the ability of the courts to drag out proceedings. Um, with you know stays or with continuances, um, again to uh, to provide advantage to the abductor such that the left behind parent runs out of money, resources, or even energy to fight the case. Mm-hmm. And and to add more to what Malini said, I think India is one of those countries where they even acknowledge this uh, with with a kind of a euphemism. I mean. Uh, what we call it as a penalty of perjury over here in India when a witness uh, totally, totally changes the testimony um, uh, 180 degrees, uh, the term they use uh, commonly in India is that the witnesses have turned hostile. So they try to kind of like, you know, present it with a euphemism that, you know, it is an accepted thing that, you know, what the witness would have stated yesterday and what he or she says the very next day, totally contradicting what was said yesterday. It's, they call it as, you know, the witness turning hostile, and nothing is done about it. I mean, no penalty of perjury and, and, and no kind of, like, prosecution on any kind of, like, false testimony. And it is commonplace in India. So It, it, you know, it, it, it is, and I'll tell you what, it's also commonplace in, you know, in a, you know, I come out of family law, and it was common for people to assume that, there's, with some of the passport uh, struggles, just with turning, you know, uh, litigants will spend all sorts of money to or get a court to enter an order indicating that someone has to turn over a passport. Well, that's all fine and good, but what happens when there are more passports at home in a box? Um, you know, so there are problems, and and I, you know, I, I hope that we're able to get some resolution on some of these issues because, again, the penalty of perjury is something that we worry about here, um, but uh, different uh, rules are, are being enforced over overseas, not only in India, but uh, several different countries. So let's pause quickly for our, our next uh, identification uh, and sponsor next, break. Yeah, next go ahead. Let's jump in uh, and sure. follow up on that. As you know, there are Rule 137 sanctions that can be filed here. Um, against both lawyers and litigants. But the one thing everybody has to remember, again, in order to do that, you need to have the money and a firm that is willing to expend the time or extend you a line of credit to pursue it. And that's the same in India. So so the reason lawyers, whether in the U.S. or India, feel perfectly comfortable filing false pleadings, and in my case, you know, pleading after pleading was false, and, and I had um, proven through responses that they were false, um, 
you have a situation where in order to recover money, you need money unless you have wonderfully, you know, angelic lawyers in my case here, both in the U.S. and in India, who are carrying me on a, an enormous line of credit. I mean, you're talking, you know, half a million dollars, if not more, collectively, uh, close to $1 million, who see how disadvantaged my son and I are up against a multimillionaire man, family, and company. So um, whether you can prove perjury in the end or get sanctions in the end, again, you need money to do it. Exactly, exactly, and that's again one of the one of the problems with uh, anything in, in involving family courts. And again, the difficulty with the complex legal issues of the international disputes can be crippling to most people. And I can see why some people just give up. Um, it's you know, Melanie, your 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 efforts are are very are very strong here, and I hope that these efforts and your message will be communicated to people not only here in the U.S., but also overseas. So let's again pause for our quick sponsor break. Uh, we want to first let you know about our daily legal news update, and this comes from the AMLAW Daily. This is a story post, uh, po posted by Tom Huddleston, Jr., dated November 23, 2010, at 2.40 p.m., reposted. And the uh, article is that the title, Preppy Goes Private, J. Crew was sold for $3 billion. Snippets from the text, rumors began swirling last night that J. Crew Incorporated, clothier to the prep set, was close to an agreement to sell itself to private equity groups TPG Capital and Leonard Green and Partners. As of early Tuesday, the sale had not yet been official. The deal was valued at roughly $3 billion, and with TPG and Leonard Green paying $43.50 per share, a special committee of J. Crew board members took part in the negotiations and ultimately recommended the sale to the full board. In a statement announcing the deal, TPG partner Kerry Wheeler said, Quote, we are proud of our 13-year history with J. Crew since our investment in the company in 1997, and the success has achieved, and the success it has achieved during our partnership with Mickey. So again, J. Crew sold for three billion dollars today. We want to also let you know about our third sponsor. It's Jim Thompson and the Get Clients Now program. If you want to get more clients now, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you need to talk to. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program called Get Clients Now will help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenue. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is going to be a recurring guest on our Lawyer's Toolbox show regarding attorney marketing. To learn more about Jim Thompson, see his Facebook testimonials by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultant.net. And I apologize, my voice is going a little bit here, but we want to remind callers that the telephone number to call in is area code 917-889-9732, option one, to be placed in the caller queue. Um, we do have a caller calling in. Rex, is that you? I had Rex yeah. a rule. Okay. It is me. All right, you dropped off and came back on. Yep. All right, Malini, let's go back to our discussion. We were talking a little bit about procedural law last segment. Uh, why don't we go a little bit into the substantive legal issues? Sure. Um, one of the things we have to remember, and again, I know we're focusing on India simply because uh, my case and, and Rex Rule's case is currently uh, pending there. I Well, not yet in, in Rex's case. I think he's, he's going to... Um, Rex, if I if I recall correctly, you're going to try and 
have the U.S. In- orders enforced in India. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. So it will it will soon be pending in Chennai as well. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention is that the challenges Rex and I face, while they're exponentially more difficult in non-Hague Convention countries, they're also occurring in Hague Convention countries. And um, there was, uh, I guess it was it was an article that was written by Sudarshan Goel in March 2009, March 17, 2009, in Amazon.contribute, Contribute, and it was on India child custody laws. And it was talking about um, the difficulties for couples living abroad and exercising their visitation rights, et cetera. But it, it mentioned in that case, um, or, or was it yours, your op-ed, Rex, that they were talking about um, hate convention countries where, where parents are facing the same challenge because they have to come up with the the resources and the time um, in order to fight the battles to get to the to get to the court decision that will then allow for the children to be returned home. Uh, not mine, Malini, but I am familiar of those issues too because it's just you know Hague Convention just provides you a forum to appeal to an authority, but Hague Conventions itself doesn't really assure anything about returning the kids because that's why the U.S. State Department has a blacklisted or uh, a list of um, you know Hague signatories that normally do not allow the children to be immediately returned. So, uh, but yeah, that was not my opinion, though. And I, I've, um, from what I understand, you know, parents do give up the fight, and the reported cases in, in, in the U.S. through the Office of Children's Issues and the U.S. State Department are only reported cases. These are parents who um, may, through whatever channels, their, their local legislators, their friends, their lawyers, um, know that they need to open up a case with the Office of Children's Issues or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, um, which is a, a subsidiary of the FBI. So if you think about the countless people out there who have lost their children and who and, and it's undocumented, um, whether in the U.S. or in India or other countries, it's, it's really mind-numbing. So I just wanted to drive that point home. So prevention education awareness is really key um, and to get the word out to the grassroots now so in you and you were talking about substantive law um, right okay what I wanted to mention under the Guardian and Wards Act um, which is the other body of law under which my ex-husband has filed for custody of my son um, the courts in general are to take into account the wishes of the child, again, based on um, the age and developmental stage, the age, the gender, the religion, um, which typically occurs by and through an interview of the child, an in-camera or in-chambers interview with the judge. The other piece of it is that uh, in the comments, there is a strong indication that, well, and in, in the language is that the, the ability of the mother to support the child or the fact that the mother does not have an income of her own or the parents of the mother do not um, have sufficient means to support the child shall not be a factor to consider. And the case that my ex-husband is making 
is that because he's a multimillionaire and can provide for the child uh, materially and, and um, in terms of education and lifestyle, should be a strong factor in ward- awarding him custody and guardianship. He has temporary custody right now in an ad interim order, but the the substantive law clearly states that that shall not be a factor to be taken into consideration. And I would think that one can extrapolate that to um, to a father as well. For example, uh, even if mother is highly successful corporate attorney um, who can provide a, a very a lavish high high end lifestyle and and the best of schools in India provide materially with hired help and nannies and cooks and 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 or au pairs um, and the finest of clothing, that should not be a factor that's taken into consideration, but unfortunately it often is. As well as, again, in Rex's case, one of his challenges is going to be that he's got a daughter much younger than my son. You know, a nine-year-old can, can assert his wishes and his voice um, uh, I think a lot stronger than a three-year-old might be able to, and who may be manipulated a lot easier, and and also pictures. <laughs> you know, they, they they can they can lie. Um, many of these parents take pictures of the child with the um, the household, whether they're hired help or with family um, at functions, at events where the child is laughing or happy. Um, and appears to be very well adjusted and content, but what's going on behind closed doors or in the inner psyche of these children um, is is a whole other story. My son has, too, on a number of occasions during Skype communications or telephone communications expressed extreme uh, depression, um, actually even suicidal thoughts, uh, although I I hope to God and and, um, pray that he, he never carries through on that, um, to me, to family, to friends, um, and has also reported abuse, physical abuse, um, psychological trauma, intimidation, and some of that I have I have proof of. So getting that in front of the court and asking the court and requiring the court to interview the child is another challenge because if a court is, is uh, biased against the um, the parent who is not a citizen of that country or is not a resident of that country and wishes to keep evidence out, they can. Because the language says the court may take into consideration, not shall take into consideration. And in my particular case, um, so although, although these substantive laws and guidelines are on the books in the Guardians and Wards Act, my son has yet to be interviewed by the High Court or the Supreme Court of India despite application after application, and my ex-husband has violated writs of habeas corpus in the high court, um, requiring the child to be produced before the court. So, again, this is another disadvantage where the substantive law uh, requires or or strongly suggests one thing, but it's not being followed. Mm-hmm. Very difficult. And, again, difference in jurisdictions difference in expectations, difficulty for practitioners who are addressing this. And we're going to pause for our final break, and then we're going to come back, and in our final segment, we're going to talk a little bit about 
what happens when there is a significant deviation of ordinary practices and customs and how our attorneys dealing with our international issues can address those deviations. Again, for those of you who are recently tuning in, you are listening to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. Our guests today are child uh, child divorce and custody attorney Melanie Bayana, who practices here in Illinois, where our show is located, and is uh, talking about international child custody issues, uh, in this case, uh, her own uh, issues with uh, her ex-husband in India. Uh, we talked a little bit about recent appellate court decisions in Illinois that make for troublesome uh, waters in litigating. We talked about procedural and substantive issues, and then again we'll come back and talk about derivations from ordinary practices and customs. Our for the day, also our for our third break, uh, and we always do bring you some practice management tips. Again, as Law Talk Radio is positioned for practice management. And uh, many of our attorneys who do listen to the show are interested in practice management resources. So first of all, we have ABABooks.org, and that's from the American Bar Association. The title we want to highlight today is called About Homeland Security and Emergency Management, Second Edition. Uh, the book is divided into three parts. Part one, Federalism, Open Government, and the Role of the Military. Second part, Prevention and Migration. Third part, Preparedness and Response. I'm sorry, strike that on part two. It's Prevention and Mitigation not migration. I misread. So again, ababooks.org for practice management resources. Also want to point you to the Attorney's Transition publication. That is the publication I write for. Um, my article this week, November 18th, was on practice area transfers. You can find the uh, go find that article by searching for attorneysintransition.com, and that is published by Law Bulletin Publishing Company. Third, we want to remind you that the Law Practice Management School will be starting classes January 5th, 2011 uh, for practice management in marketing management technology and finance. Again, those are weekly uh, courses offered online through the webinar platform uh, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Our final sponsor of the day is credit damage expert George Finder. He is a credit damage expert who can put dollar amount on damage to credit. Now, George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. Now, by learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Now, any listeners who contact George Finder and tell him that they heard about him on Law Talk Radio will receive, free of charge, one hour of CLE presentation. So grab a pen and take down this email address to respond to this offer. The email address is, and it's plural, Credit Damage Associates at GMX.com. Again, Credit Damage Associates at GMX.com. Available nationwide, Credit Damage Expert George Finder's website is full of resources. Please visit CreditDamageExpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. We want to again remind our listeners, telephone number to dial in is area code 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the queue. All right, for our final segment, we're back with attorney Melanie Bayana and our guest, 
Rex Arul. We are talking about international child custody issues, focusing on some of the problems when the opposing counsel and the opponent are overseas. In this case, we're talking a little bit about India, India being one of the non-Hague Convention countries. Melanie, let's talk a little bit about deviation from the ordinary practices and customs, uh, and specifically what some strategies might be to those who have an opposing party who does have a level of uh, persuasion, so to speak, in their homeland jurisdiction. Sure. Uh, in in my instant case, um, and I, I liken it very much to the Goldman Brazilian case where it took Father eight years to get his child back, and really um, there was no media attention that was um, that was helping to shed light on his circumstances, I think, until the mother died. And then the the uh, stepfather wanted to maintain custody of the child as against the biological parent, and, and largely due to, um, you know, pressures from the grandparents. Now, in that case, I believe there was they were a very prominent wealthy family in Brazil, and so father in America was really um, disadvantaged in terms of resources. Uh, in fighting fighting this battle, we, through the grace of God, got up to the Supreme Court quite early. Um, it's been pending in front of the Supreme Court since January, our case, and the reason that we even got to the Supreme Court as quickly as we did was because my ex had violated a writ of habeas corpus that was issued by the High Court when we challenged the family court order um, on the basis of you know two things: one the jurisdictional issue as well as the fact that the family court had not recorded my son's statement that was made in in the presence of my ex's counsel as well as my counsel in chambers that he wished to return to mother back to uh, the U.S. and back to his school, St. Hubert's, and did not want to reside with his father um, if given a choice. And this this statement was not recorded. The High Court, in reviewing our application, um, directly appealing the the family court decision, issued a writ of habeas corpus so that they could interview my son. This was violated, and my son was taken out of the country to Beirut, Lebanon, without the permission of the court, without notice to me, um, subsequent to which I did place Interpol alerts out because my son was often being concealed from me and taken out of the city um, and the country as against U.S. orders. So what my ex did was rather than showing up in court when when this was violated and we filed contempt proceedings, he and his attorneys, I don't know how they they got wind of the fact that um, the, the high court was going to issue a Form 1 warrant for his arrest if he didn't come to court at the next uh, continuance date, directly appealed that decision to the Supreme Court of India. When this occurred we learned that we could directly appeal the the family court decision under Article 32 of the Constitution to the Supreme Court such that they could just hear both matters and um, dispose of it, dispose of this entire issue, whether based on jurisdictional grounds um, or what my ex was trying to uh, persuade the courts to do is jurisdictional matters notwithstanding rule on the best interests of the child which the court has done in the past. So they can, you know, even if they find under the facts and circumstances of the case that jurisdiction is proper 
back in the home state of the child or the, uh, the state or country of citizenship, they can wholly circumvent that and make a decision based on the best interest of the child if the, if the court is so motivated. Um, what I have done, and it took me six months to do this, uh, and probably nine years <laughs> in terms of going public with, with the history of our case and the manner in which um, the courts have been used uh, as a, a, a tool and a sword against me, um, I decided to go to the media and cooperate with, with requests for interviews. They had been contacting me for six months since October, um, and I struggled with this for, for a number of different reasons. One, um, I had to be comfortable with the fact that that our family's, you know, for lack of a better term, dirty laundry is going to be out for public consumption, which would affect my my son, where his friends, family, um, you know, faith community, people he knows, and even strangers are going to know all or hear and read about what's happening with his his mother and his father with cross allegations and accusations um and character and not so uh favorable characterizations um flinging back and forth. The other piece of it was that I was afraid of repercussion um and backlash from my ex, his family and or his company who have enormous resources and, and could um make my life hell were I to start talking about the facts and the truth uh, behind everything that's occurred. I was actually um, put in a situation where my family was threatened, my brother and sister-in-law, in October, uh, just prior to these papers being filed when I demanded my the return of my child under my custodial rights when I, um, when I was here in the United States. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law were called and threatened and basically told that um, if I were to challenge him on this child custody matter, and or do anything to harm him or his company's, you know, reputation, he would bankrupt me to the point where it would be up to my brother and sister-in-law and mother and father to support me financially um, moving forward. And, and he's carried through on that on that threat. So, what what one has to do is to have the courage and the faith and to be prepared for any and all consequences. Um, while shedding light on irregularities and proprieties, if you look at my case, child custody proceedings are typically expedited in India. They are supposed to be expedited because you have the life of a child um, that is hanging. And my case has been delayed and delayed and delayed and continued and continued and continued, kicked out now until March 2011, despite application after application for early and expedited hearing. The other irregularity is that I have been consistently denied parenting time. Um, You know, whether supervised or restricted or unsupervised, time and time again, with me being awarded brief periods during my son's school breaks in February, April, and then again in October, with months on end in the interim where mother and child are not allowed any physical uh, company of each other. Again, 
that is highly irregular irregular in India, uh, particularly when it comes to the mother-child relationship. And I would say it's, it's important with the father-child relationship as well, um, the loss of, of com- company, the loss of, of uh, a primary caretaker's love, affection, nurturance. You know, while Skype is wonderful, it's just not going to provide the type of um, comfort and care that a child needs from a primary parent with whom he or she may have spent a good portion of their lives, if not their entire lives. In my case, my son was with me for eight and a half years. I had the full custody, care, control, and education of him. With father being an absentee father, traveling, you know, uh, not really being a real involved part of uh, his son's life, and, and then he's violently ripped and separated from the only mother he's ever known same situation with Rex, three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. By all accounts, he was a wonderfully involved, affectionate um, parent. And all of a sudden, this this precious little child ha- doesn't have daddy in, in her life and is at the mercy of mom to even talk to him or Skype with him and doesn't really know what's happened. And, and that has got to be. Uh, psychologically traumatizing, especially in those formative years, zero to five, and even five to ten, when it comes to relationships with the primary parent, um, it's critical to the healthy psychological, emotional, uh, mental, and spiritual development of a child. So I have now tried to um, help the public understand what's been happening in my case by and through the use of media and cooperation with media requests. Um, I, I've been bombarded with requests, local, national, international um, news channels, uh, publications, and I have cooperated now. That has not been without backlash. I um, have been filed, I've been served with legal notices for defamation, which now I have to hire attorneys to to defend. There has been nothing defamatory about what I've stated. Uh, either in India or in the U.S., as everything I've stated is 100% true, and I can prove it through documents uh, as well as witnesses. But, again, the legal harassment and knowing that I would have to then find lawyers who will either take my case on contingency or pro bono uh, to give me more work and distract me from you know, earning a living or trying to destroy my my professional reputation um, My ex is also successfully using the media to, in certain prominent national uh, or international publications that are sympathizers with him and or um, understand that he can pull pull his advertisements or support um, moving forward, he has made defamatory per se statements indicating that I violated gag orders that don't even exist, um, gag orders that were meant to protect my son, you know, as a lawyer, he's characterizing me as a lawless, um, destructive individual and misrepresenting the facts of both the procedural and substantive uh, history of our case, both with respect to what's pending in India or what was pending um, throughout the past nine years in Illinois. So you see there are media wars going on, um, but you, it really is about going public and holding those that are in power accountable for their uh, practices. Yeah. 
Melanie, it's just, just a, a wonderful thing that you are putting everything on the line to reach out to share your story with those who can also benefit because, as you pointed out, some of the difficulties in any international custody uh, battle, so many difficult, um, so many challenges. Rex, did you want to have offer any final comments? Well, I think um, um, pretty much Mani covered a lot of these issues that are pretty unique to India and pretty much common to many of these foreign countries. To add a little bit more on that, um, sure, um, you know, my own kid, you know, she talks differently when her mom is out of sight on Skype. I mean, three days ago, she pretty much said that, you know, she pretty much wanted to come and sleep on my chest and, you know, watch TV together and, you know, build building blocks together and, you know, visit the friends and whatnot. And, and uh, the very sorry state of affairs is, you know, not only is she being prevented from, you know, having regular time with me, but uh, also with all her friends in, in the United States. And, and, you know, she hasn't been allowed to talk to any of her friends here. And on top of that, um, you know, we are also seeing symptoms where the child is showing uh, signs of insecurity. And, and however, um, you know, last week, the U.S. State Department had a welfare visit, and which my ex-wife pretty much kind of like wanted to show a good faith and she allowed to have it but psychologically and emotionally she was trying to blackmail me saying well you know um, all the people in the u.s consulate is known to me and you know all their children are studying with our daughters you know in our daughter's school and you know, pretty much i know a lot of people in the state supreme court and pretty much my law firm is one of the uh, largest law firms uh, which you would have seen in the state department list of you know, law firms. Sure, I mean, there is some facts to all of that, but, you know, that's exactly how sometimes the abducting parents, um, you know, pretty much use psychological warfare to emotionally and psychologically traumatize the left-behind parent besides having their most prized possession, the kid themselves. So... And, and and one final thing, um, like you said, when you have when you have people of prominence and power and wealth in India, it, there, there's a, a concept in in the law called res ipsa loquitur. You can't prove the influence. You can't prove any type of um, impropriety. You know when it comes to relationships with either police or judges. Um, but the thing speaks for itself because when you have these delays and you have these unorthodox practices. And and in my case especially, um, my ex has been granted stay after stay after stay. Investigations have been stalled, um, despite you know endorsements by home ministers for for investigations. And if it were not for his status, for his his wealth, his power, his political affiliations, would he have been given these um, these graces and and time? Whereas all of my applications for stays have been denied um, in the Supreme Court. My applications for interview of the child has been denied. My uh, my applications for contempt of, of Skype orders have not even been taken notice as of yet. So, again, I go back to res ipsa locator, which is often used in torts law and, and personal injury, where you can't prove the cause and effect. But, uh, again... The thing speaks for itself. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and one final thing, Nick, to be added is, you know, uh, anybody who litigates in India would avert to this fact that the most fundamental thing is, you know, enforcement 
even enforcement of the Indian court orders itself is a very, very, very difficult thing within India because there is absolutely or sometimes a non-challenge or an indifference uh, that, that, that comes to the fore when, you know, no orders are enforced. I mean, regardless of whether it is it is foreign orders or, you know, whether the Indian court orders. Sometimes the Indian courts have to, like, literally push the state investigating arms to just enforce its own orders. So sometimes things can be that difficult in a country as huge as India. Right, right. Even, even when there are reports of abuse, uh, the U.S. consulate during their welfare whereabouts checks can and will leave out reports of abuse or distress um, that the minor child may have conveyed. I know my son did convey to the U.S. consulate um, on, on a couple of occasions during visits uh, reports of intimidation, coercion, abuse, but uh, this has been left out of the the State Department's reports to the parents for fear of repercussion to the child uh, who's in the custody and care of the offender. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing, you know, the, the, the U.S. consulate is, is trying to protect the child as well as, um, you know, provide uh, some some reports as to how the child is faring. So the child, again, may not necessarily have a voice, and, and, and this, the parent who may be afraid that they might report this to the court will keep them from being interviewed by a court of law, whether in, in the U.S. or in India, because then you do have on record um, – in the court of law, rather than than a U.S. consulate member uh, who who is interviewing the child and may, for whatever reason, uh, decide not to issue issue a full report to the parents. It's a very there's so much there's <laughs> there's so much going on here. There's so many issues. There's so many roadblocks. There's so many struggles, so many airline tickets, so many hours on the plane, so many hours waiting in court, um, attorneys who can fly back and forth, other people who can't fly back and forth. It's a very difficult situation, and both of you are I commend you both for speaking out and putting your own personal safety and liberties at risk to to do what's right for everyone else. Who and yourselves also, but um, other people who might could be victims of problems like this uh, in the future. So thank you to you both. We are over our time, and we do need to cut things short. Uh, I'd also like to thank our listeners out there for tuning in to the Law Talk Radio programs on ALRPRA. We want to thank our sponsors. We had the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme, the Lawyer Market Listing Service, Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group, and credit damage expert George Finder. We want to let you know that we will be off for the Thanksgiving holiday. We do not have a show this coming Thursday. However, we will be back here for the Consumers Law Journal show on Tuesday, November 30th. Members of the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois, of which actually Malin Abiana is a founder. Is that right? You're a founder? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I um, I was uh, a fellow? on the is board. A fellow? I, I was on the board in the early years, and I, I'm a fellow and the a co-chair fellow. of the Community Outreach Committee. Got it, got it. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. The Collaborative Law Institute will uh, appear, and members will share their collaborative law model for family law. So a very good show, and uh, that's just a nice coincidence that you're on here today, Melanie. You can support support the Collaborative Law Institute. Um, by way of general disclaimer, again, we want to let you know that the show is a general information program. The advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice, and there is 
results may vary based on specific facts and location. As always, communication with our attorney guests among guests and callers on this show does not give a rise to an attorney-client relationship. And if you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential and all licenses broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. These Law Talk radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With our guests and listeners located nationwide and globally, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. This is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time. Thank you also to uh, Malani Biana and Rex Arul for being here today. Thank you both. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Okay. Um, without uh, any, anything further, I will sign off, but I'll tell you that we will be back on with updates uh, as things progress and as Malani continues her efforts to help educate those who face similar issues with international custody, not only in, with India and, uh, and other uh, nations as well. So, again, we thank you for your time. We apologize for going a little over today, but it was a special broadcast, and it's Thanksgiving, so we don't have a show on Thursday, so a little more show today. Thank you to all, and we always, again, encourage your feedback. You can always send a direct email to me at nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com. Again, our show call-in number is 917-889-9732. We always appreciate your contributions. And also, where we do promote the show using uh, various social media channels, we always appreciate your opportunity to share these shows with other people you find might benefit from the information. Again, this is Nick Augustine. I am signing over and out. Uh, We are over our time. But again, I thank you all for participating today, and we look forward to hearing from our guests again soon. Thank you.